Well, howdy, Pastor Mark Trisclear. Thank you for letting me help you learn God's Word. And if you want to learn more, go to markdriscoll.org. I've got a weekly newsletter answering your questions, daily devotions, blogs that are Bible teaching and their orientation, and a small mountain of sermons going through lots of books of the Bible. So join me at markdriscoll.org and we'll help you learn even more of God's Word. It is really fun to be here. I love you, I love your church. And I'm really, really honored and excited to be here. And we are live streaming back to the Trinity Church, our home church back in Scottsdale, Arizona. So howdy to my kids that are watching back in Arizona. We're glad to do church and life with you today. And I'm here for four reasons, all based in love. I love Jesus, so I'm really happy to open the Bible and talk about Jesus. Number two, I love, love, love James River Church. I've had the honor of being here many times over many years. Every time I come, the church is growing, more people are meeting Jesus, more lives are being changed, more campuses are being open, more leaders are being raised up. And what you guys are doing, for example, with the preschool ministry is incredible. And I just wanna honor God and I wanna thank you for your faithfulness. And, uh, and this is just a great place and I'm honored to be here. Uh, thirdly, I am really someone who deeply loves the Lindell family. I love you guys. We, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't see a family do ministry together. God saved my mom, my dad, all my siblings. God's done a wonderful thing in our family, but I brought my wife, Grace, because we love, respect, honor the Lindell family, want to learn from them and how they do life and ministry together as a family. And I could tell you over the course of many years and in intimate moments with this family, this is a godly, wonderful, devoted, healthy, biblical family that adores you. And it's an honor to come and see them and to learn from them. Um, and can we, can we thank Pastor John? He just finished preaching every verse of the New Testament. Can we applaud that? Amen. The fourth reason I'm here is I love Andy's. Andy's, I've accepted Andy into my heart. That's how much I love Andy's. Grace and I got off the plane. We went immediately to Andy's. Muslim kids are like, I just need to get my pilgrimage to Mecca. I need to get my pilgrimage to Andy's. I prayed about it. I couldn't decide between the flavors and I felt like the Lord said, eat both. So I did, I got two different flavors of Andy's and someone now told me they have opened an Andy's in Arizona. So for those of you that wonder if prayer works, I'm here to testify, God hears and answers prayer. That being said, Grace and I next month, we are celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary coming up on August 15th. So that means two things. I'm blessed and she has a high pain tolerance. I always say, we're a hot mess. She's hot, I'm a mess. I always say we're a drama queen. She's a queen, I'm all the drama. And so when you're married to someone for a while, you learn how they are different from you and you realize God has wired them differently than me. And so one of the things I've had the honor of observing in the life of my very great wife and best friend, she has the spiritual gift of faith. How many of you have that gift? You could trust God. You, Grace is just that way. I'm like, we're gonna die. She's like, and be with Jesus. It's gonna be amazing. Like, really, you can't phase this woman. My spiritual gift and her spiritual gift, they work together very well. Her spiritual gift is faith. My spiritual gift is freaking out. That's my spiritual gift. 
I'm pretty good at freaking out, but I keep working on it and I hope to get better. How many of you have my spiritual gift of freaking out? You, you're the people who freak out. You get nervous, you get worried, you get anxious, you get stressed. That's me. And let me just sympathize and empathize with you because it, it, we've all got things, and it's always been this way, that can cause us fear, anxiety, and worry. Relational conflict, health isn't good, people you love aren't doing well, financially times are tight, or even in crisis. But you add to that two variables in our day, it makes it a lot more difficult to not be one who is governed by fear. Number one, electricity. It used to be the sun goes down, you go home, you go to bed, day's over, pick it up again tomorrow. Now you got electricity, you can work all night, you can stay up all night, it can ruin and wreck your sleep. Number two, this global news cycle. It used to be you live in a small town, a village, you know what's going on with the people around you, but you don't know what's going on in the rest of the world. How many of you are totally sick of anything news related? Amen? Amen. You know, this book is good news. I'm telling you, this is the only good news there is. The rest is all bad news. It's all bad news. And what this means is the more you know, the worse you feel. Any of you felt that way? And if you felt like, man, I'm really stressed out. I'm gonna watch the news. That'll help. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. Now you're up all night wearing a helmet and a cup, fearing the worst is coming. That's what's gonna happen. That's what's gonna happen. And you can tell when you're stressed, you can tell when you're fearful, you can tell when you're anxious because fear in the mind causes stress in the body. The experts will give us some things to be looking for, clues and cues that God gives. But what's the last thing on your mind when your head hits the pillow? What's the first thing on your mind when your feet hit the floor? What is the thing you're worried about, you're anxious about, you're stressed about? When the people you love are talking to you and you don't hear them because you are physically present but mentally absent, what is it that is on the forefront of your mind and has gripped your heart? Think about that thing today that has you scared, fearful, concern, worried, whatever word you might choose. And then your body gives you some examples. This can include a nervous eye twitch. Any of you get that? I was so freaked out for years, so stressed and overwhelmed and overworked. I got a nervous eye twitch. People come up, why is Pastor Mark flirting with me? He's not, he's freaking out. You're not attractive, he's stressed, he's freaked out. He's freaked out. I literally, at one point, I had a 400-pound Hispanic man ask, are you winking at me? For sure, I'm not. I am that stressed, right? I am that stressed that my eye has a life of its own and it's trying to date everyone. That's how stressed I am. Another example, brain fog. Any of you ever had that? You're like, I came over here to get something. I don't remember what it was. I was gonna take my kid for a walk. I, I don't know where they are. You just, you can't remember anything. Brain fog. How about this one? Um, blood pressure goes up. I had high blood pressure for some years. Chronic sickness, sinus infection, your adrenals are struggling. Maybe it's a stomach ache. Maybe it's a headache. Maybe it's just a migraine. And for particularly you men, one way that you manifest your anxiety, aggressive driving. It's a, it's a clinical diagnosis. Let me just, your wife brought you here for this word, okay? When you go on vacation in the minivan with your family, it's not NASCAR. It's just not, it's not. And all, all the frustrated dads on vacation, they're, they're all competing. And so they're passing each other on the road in minivans, in, really in minivans. 
Meanwhile, their kids are in the back. Dad, I gotta take a leak. There are no pit stops. We will win. We've passed them. If we stop, they will pass us. We need to win. Dad, there's no pot of gold at the end of that rainbow. Just take your time, enjoy your family. It's not a competition. It's you in a minivan with children who need to go to the restroom. That's all that it is. But men, how many of you men get aggressive driving? You do that, right? You're like, I love the horn. I love the horn. I wore out the horn. I had to get another horn. You may be a little anxious and stressed. I'm just saying that. And for your wife, you're welcome. I shared that for you. How about this one? Self-medicating, caffeine in the morning, sugar, energy drinks in the afternoon, alcohol at night to wind you down. And some people get to the point, they're so despondent, they get suicidal. They get really anxious. They're like, I can't handle anymore. It feels like my soul has a migraine. I wanna die. And the Christian version of that is reading books about the rapture. It's like, I don't wanna die. I just want Jesus to come back, play the Jefferson's theme song. I wanna be moving on up. Are we done yet? Are we done? I put a chart together. It says, now's a good day. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And ultimately you can tell whether or not you have a lot of anxiety by how you sleep. Sleep is the test. So let me, let me illustrate for you our home. I told you that my wife's gift is faith. So here's my many years of our marriage. Here's my wife, here's my wife, here's my wife, late at night. And there's my wife. You know why? She has faith. You know what I'm doing? That's a long way to get up, man. I almost pulled a hamstring. You're a certain age getting up. You're like, I don't know if I can. I'm at an age, if I drop something, I gotta really determine how important it is if I'm gonna go all the way down there and get it. I'll buy another car. I don't need those keys. So my wife, my wife would be asleep and I would be awake, freaked out and stressed. And I would be making notes and making lists and jumping on my laptop and getting work done. And I'm, I'm, I couldn't sleep. So there were some years I didn't sleep well. I've had two intestinal ulcers. I fried out my adrenal glands twice. One time I lost my sight for a while because I was so stressed. I had a hard time reading some woman's laughing. I don't know why. Nonetheless, that's, she, <laughs> I could not sleep and see. Wow, okay, thank you, ma'am. Okay, and now I'm, now I'm more nervous. Now I'm nervous about my nervousness and people laughing about me being nervous. That, that's how nervous I can get. How many of you are like that? You've been freaked out, you've been stressed, you've been a little anxious, you can't sleep. What's God's answer for your anxiety? That's the question that Pastor John asked me to preach on because when I come, he has a lot of anxiety. And, and I need some healing myself. And so we're gonna jump into God's word. We're gonna look firstly at six reasons that fear is fraud in 1 John 4:18. Let me read it to you. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with what? Punishment. I'm gonna get hurt, I'm gonna lose, I'm gonna suffer, it's not gonna go well for me. I'm scared, I'm fearful, I'm anxious. The temperature in the room just changed. I love you. It's an honor to be here to help you. I wanna serve you. This is something with me is very personal and I've struggled with it and my wife has been forbearing with me and she has modeled this for me and I'm honored to share it with you. If you're carrying a burden, if you have a fear, if there is something before you that is bigger than you, if there's something that you are worried or concerned about, if the future is uncertain to you and you are scared, fear has to do with punishment. 
and you're afraid that harm is coming to you, your family, your friends, those you love. Fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Six reasons fear is a fraud. Number one, fear is vision without hope. It's looking down the corridor into the future of your life and saying, I don't see anything good. I don't see any hope. Some will tell you that you need food, water, air, and shelter to live. You also need hope. And what fear does, fear robs us of any hope and it replaces it with punishment. And that's all we see in our future. And why would you walk into a future that was only punishment and no hope? Number two, fear only travels to the worst case scenario. Fear never takes you to the goodness of God. It only takes you toward that which is apocalyptic. How many of you are those people? Everything always is going to end in crisis or tragedy. That, that you are concerned for your future and you are determined that it is only and always going to end badly for you. And what happens is fear of the future causes anxiety in the present. When all you see is doom in tomorrow, it robs you of any joy today. Number three, uh, fear turns us into false prophets, right? I know the future and it's all doom. How many of you have been false prophets? You've spoken, here's what's gonna happen to me, here's what's coming, here's how it's gonna end, and you get there, and it didn't happen. It wasn't that bad. Even if things weren't okay, you were okay. It turns us into false prophets, prophesying a future that God has not destined for us. Number four, fear ruins our relationships. When you're gripped by anxiety, by fear, you and I become, we become like a grenade with a pin pulled. Everything that someone says, everything that someone does, it causes us to explode. We're very emotional, we're very fragile. A friend of mine who struggles very deeply with anxiety said, quote, sometimes I feel like my soul has a migraine. When you have a migraine, if someone drops a pen, it sounds like a gun has been fired next to your ear. Everything is heightened. Everything becomes absolutely increased. When you're in a state of anxiety, everything that they say, everything that they do has a reaction that is much bigger than the action. As a result, you are yelling at people, you are withdrawing from people, you are harming people, and as a result, you are exhausting people. And even the people who love you the most grow weary. Number five, fear makes us selfish. I'm scared, my life is crumbling, I am worried, my future is uncertain, what is coming is going to destroy me. Everyone, right now, stop what you are doing. Pay attention to me. My emotional state needs to be the center of your life. And we forget, they have struggles, they have sins, they have suffering. We're not empathetic, we're not compassionate. We have no energy for them and we want all their energy for us. And it makes us very selfish. I love you, but sometimes hurting people are the most selfish people. That's why the Bible says we should comfort others with the comfort we receive. So that if the Lord serves us, we serve them. Number six, fear is like a demon spirit that has to be cast out. Do you notice the language? 
Perfect love does what to fear? Cast it out. That's the same language that the Bible uses for the demonic, Satan and demons. The evil forces at work in the world that are against the will of God and the way of God and the word of God that has to be cast out. But Jesus says, even if you cast out a demon, if you don't replace that void with the presence of the Holy Spirit, things only get seven times worse. Some of you, you don't understand that the fear is not a friend, it's a foe. It, it, may, be a, it may be a spirit, but it is a demon spirit that has come to haunt you and torment you, not to deliver you or to give you peace. But if all you do is cast out your fear, you don't replace it with the love of God, things only get seven times worse. That's why some of you, you've been afraid, I'm gonna conquer that fear, and now I have worse fear of something else. It's the love of God that casts out fear. It is God's Holy Spirit presence in your life that leaves no room for fear, and the perfect love of God comes in and it pushes out, it casts out, it commands out your fears. Your fears need to be replaced with God's love because you only live your life from one of two places, fear in the future or faith in God's love. Faith in God's love. And so that being said, let me tell you one other thing about the demonic and the way that the demonic works on anxiety and fear. You have limits due to your humanity. You'll get tired, demons don't. You'll get sick, demons don't. You'll need to go to bed, demons don't. You need to eat, demons don't. You have limits to your energy because of your humanity and demons don't. Demons are fallen angels. It says of the angels that they worship in the presence of God day and night. You and I can't do that. What that means is that Satan and demons are not limited by our humanity. They don't have the limitations that we do. They will want the fear in your mind to cause anxiety in your body to cause you to be unhealthy and then find you at the limits of your humanity. So then you are weak, you are sick, you are tired, you are vulnerable, and that's when they will attack you. You need to know that that's how the demonic realm works. And what happens then, God's love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and then God's love gives you the energy, the life, the health, the hope, the help, the healing, to live the life that God intends for you to be a healthy and whole person. So what I wanna do now, I wanna do a deep dive into a book called Philippians. And I wanna look at God's answer for fear. This is a very common verse. Some of you are Christians, you're familiar with it. Rejoice in the Lord, always. always. Philippians 4, four through seven. Again, I will say rejoice. When the Bible repeats something, it's because we're prone to forget it. Let your reasonableness be known by everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious. About what? We've all got one thing that's our thing, amen? 
We've all got one thing that's our thing. So what you don't do, you don't judge someone based upon their anxiety. They have a point in their life that is very painful. You just have a different point. We've, we've all got our point. We've all got the point of our pain. Don't be anxious about anything but in everything, all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here's what he's saying. Number one, look for the good. Look for the good. When you are fearful, all you see is the bad. He says it this way, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He also uses the language of with thanksgiving. Some of you, when fear dominates you, you're like Puddle Glum and Eeyore. It's all bad and only gonna get worse, okay? I had a, a, a wise preacher some years ago tell me, he said, uh, he said, I used to think that life was good seasons and bad seasons. You get through the bad seasons to get to the good seasons. How many of you have heard that or thought that? And then you, you're, you're a person who says, how come I never get a good season? What he said is life is actually two train tracks running side by side. My people at Trinity have heard me say this, but I wanna share it with you. He says, there is constantly and simultaneously good and bad running concurrently through the entirety of your life. And, and, and it depends which track you will focus on. The, the pessimist says, there's only one track and I emphasize all that is bad. The optimist says, I, I only acknowledge that was, which is good. And the Christian says, I see both, but I put most of my energies towards the good. I look for God's presence and his provision. I look for reasons to rejoice. And I am anticipating that even in the bad times, there are good times, there are reasons to rejoice. So number one, especially when you're fraught with fear, find the good and find that which God is already at work. That will give you hope that he will continue to do good and you will have good in your future. But let me say this, even if the bad goes away and all there is is good, we live in a fallen imperfect world and bad is coming yet again. It's always there. The question is, where is your focus? Where is your heart? Where is the lion's share of your emotional energy? Number two. Make your will your rudder. He says it this way, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The reasonableness here, it's, a, it's steadiness. It's calm. It's, it's a soldier who is battle tested. And even though bullets are flying, they retain their wits about them. Your emotions are like the sail on a ship. If you've ever seen a sailboat, the sail gets set and the wind fills and drives it forward. Your emotions are like that sail. They're powerful, they're strong, they drag you, they drive you. Your will is the rudder. Some of you, all you have is a sail, you have no rudder. Something happens, you're very passionate, you're very worked up, you're very emotional. That is not a bad thing. Unless of course you do not have a rudder. Imagine someone out on a lake sailing in a strong gale force wind, sail set, no rudder. They will be driven wherever the wind takes them. Some of you, life is like that. Your life is driven by your emotions. You are out of control and where you are going is not toward life, but toward death. The answer is not to be less emotional, 
but to have your will be your rudder and to drive all of that emotional energy in your life toward God's will for you and what God's word says to you. And what he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. What he's saying is other people can see this. See, when children are little, they have strong emotions, very little will. Have you noticed that with a kid? How many of you are raising that kid? Okay, that's why you're here, right? You need help. You dropped them off in nursery and you hope they're fixed by the time you pick them up. Right? You're like, <laughs> fix them. Kids start off very emotional, very passionate, but they don't yet know how to put their will over their emotions, a rudder with their sail to drive their life forward. That's what God wants you to know. Some of you will be very emotional. You'll be very fearful. You'll be freaking out. And someone will come and they'll say, you need to calm down. You're really freaking out. And all that does is makes you freak out more. You're like, oh, let me tell you why I'm freaked out. And you replay it and all you're doing is adding a zero to the volume level of your frustration. The answer is, this is real. This is how I'm really feeling, but I trust the Lord and he will use this to compel me and propel me forward into the future and the destiny that he has for me. You have to have your will override your emotions. Number three, replace worrying with praying. Okay? When when you are stressed and distressed, you have two options, worrying by yourself or praying to the Lord. Some of you struggle with prayer. This will help your prayer life. Sometimes you don't need to just work harder. Sometimes you don't need a longer to-do list. Sometimes you just need to get in the presence of God. Because here's what happens. You and I, let me say this, when we are afraid, we want resolution. What God wants is relationship. So sometimes we will go to God and say, God, give me resolution. He didn't give me resolution, then I will go fix my problems. I'll go conquer my enemies. I'll go save myself. God says, you don't need resolution, you need relationship. Prayer sometimes brings resolution from God, but it always enhances relationship with God. Here's how he says it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. Does it say, there's nothing to worry about? Does it say that? It's not. See, when someone is gripped with fear, anxiety, worry, it doesn't help to come up and say, there's nothing to worry about because immediately they tell you all the things they're worried about. And now they're more worried than they were and now you're worried with them. That's not improvement, amen? Does this make sense to anyone? Okay. Okay, don't raise your hand if you're married to this person, but elbow them, okay? You and I always have something to be afraid of. We're not in the kingdom of God yet. There's still sin, there's still death, there's still evil, there's still injustice, there's still suffering. 
What it doesn't say, this is why I love the Bible. It's the most honest book that's ever been written. It doesn't say there's nothing to be afraid of. Actually, the more you read the Bible, you realize that the world is worse than you thought it was. And so there can be more to be afraid of. It doesn't say there's nothing to be afraid of, but it does say when you are fearful, don't panic, do pray. This is where your will goes over your emotions. You're feeling panic, don't panic, do pray. When you pray, you are letting God be God so that you can be you. When you don't pray, you're trying to be God and that will crush you. Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer says it this way, pray and let God worry. Prayer says, someone needs to worry about this. God, you worry about it. I'm gonna go to bed. Prayer says, God, somebody needs to stay up all night and work this out. So you stay up all night. I'm going to bed. Prayer, let me say this about prayer. I didn't, this isn't in my notes, but let me say this about prayer. God doesn't need prayer. Do you know that? Some of you are newer Christians or non-Christians. You're like, why does God need prayer? He doesn't. It's not like you're telling God something he doesn't know when you pray, amen? It's like, Lord, I gotta tell you some stuff. He's like, good, because I was wondering. I had no clue. (laughs) You're not telling God something he doesn't know. God doesn't need prayer, you do. God doesn't need prayer, you do. Prayer is for your good. And what you do when you pray, if you pray well, you transfer the burden to God. We had a season of our life, I was freaked out. I mean, I've had various seasons in the past. I've had two intestinal ulcers. I've blown out my adrenal glands twice. One season I was so stressed, I actually couldn't read because I kind of lost my eyesight. So I understand being freaked out. I was so worried of what would happen to me and my family. I had trouble sleeping, blood pressure was up, anxiety was high. I talked to a pastor friend of mine. He says, how's your prayer life? I said, I talk to the Lord all the time. He said, how do you feel? I said, man, I'm really worried. He said, then you're not praying, you're just complaining. It was convicting and helpful and painful and awful and truthful all at the same time. (laughs) I said, well, explain that. He said, He said, until you've transferred the burden to God, you're not praying to God, you're just complaining to God. See, he says it's really good. For me, it was really, really good. Okay, I'll just say that. (laughs) When you feel that burden, you remember the words of Jesus, come to me all you were weary and heavy laden. You'll find Rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. 
It's Jesus' way of saying, transfer the burden to me. You can't carry that, that will crush you. Let me carry it for you, let me carry it with you. And you say, how do I transfer that burden? Prayer. Prayer is how you transfer the burden. Number four, tell God what you want. This, this is gonna change some of your lives. Because your view of God, some of you are compliant. Some of you are those obedient children, right? How many of you, you're just like, I'll do whatever the Lord says. You're the rule keepers, you're, you're, you're the followers, you're the obeyers. So when, when life happens, your inclination is God, just tell me what you want to do. Just tell me what you want me to do. God, just tell me what you want me to do. And there's, there's silence. God, do you exist? Do you, do you care? Are you even paying attention? God, you can see my heart. I love you. I wanna do what you want me to do. Tell me what you want me to do. Why won't you tell me what you want me to do? I wanna do your will. And Satan uses that. And God wants to heal that. Sometimes God tells you his will, or most of the time I should say, God tells you his will and his word. So if you want to need, know the will of God, you gotta open the word of God. Other times, God will speak to you. He can do so supernaturally. Much of the time, God isn't telling you what to do. He's asking you what you want to do. How many of you have got a child or a grandchild? And the child, grandchild looks at you. They say, what do you want me to do? Well, what do you wanna do? What do you wanna do? Let me tell you this about God. He's a father. I like to say he's a green light dad, not a red light dad. Red light dad, the answer is always no. No, can we go to the park? No, can I have ice cream? No. Dad, can we watch a different show? No, 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 no. Red light dad. God is more of a green light dad. As long as you ask for something that's within his will, which is broad, God's will is a highway, not a tightrope. As long as you're going toward Jesus, you can drive in whatever lane. I don't, I don't think it's a big deal. I think as long as you're going north. Hey dad, can we have ice cream? Yeah. Hey dad, can we go to the park? Yeah. Hey dad, can we throw the ball around? Yeah. Hey dad, can I talk to you? Yeah. My kids know that I'm a green light dad. I'm not a red light dad. So they ask for a lot of things and they know not to ask for things that are wrong or sinful because then they will get the red light dad but they tend to ask for things that are green light. Here's what the word of God says. Let what? Your requests be known to God. 
When you're fearful, frustrated, anxious, stressed out, you need to start by asking, Lord, what do you want me to do? And if you don't hear anything, then say, okay, Lord, let me tell you what I'd like to do. And your red light dad oftentimes will say yes. It's not that your dad doesn't know you, he doesn't love you, he doesn't hear you. He's just waiting to hear from you. I'll give you an example. Recently, my daughter, Alexi, she's 13. I love her with all my heart. She looks like her mom, so I can't even discipline her. It's a situation. But anyways, <laughs> she's adorable. She's 13. She still holds my hand everywhere we go, including school in front of her friends and boys. So we're good. Okay, we're real good. She gives me a kiss every night before uh, bedtime. And uh, she came up to me recently. She said, uh, hey, dad, what do you want to do this week? I said, I don't know. What a you want to do? She said, I want to go to Alaska. <laughs> Alaska. Dad, I've always wanted to go to Alaska. Okay, make your request known. Why do you want to go to Alaska? Dad, I've always wanted to go to Alaska. We live in Phoenix. I know we're not going to die and go to hell, but it feels like in June, we live there, okay? <laughs> in Phoenix, you can't scare people with hell. They're like... Can't scare me. <laughs> Dad, we live in Phoenix and in June, it's really hot and it's really nice up in Alaska. I said, okay, well, who do you wanna bring? She said, I just wanna go with you. She said, I wanna go on a trip with my daddy. She said, I'll sit with you on the plane. We'll go see stuff. I'll hold your hand, snuggle with you. She said, I really wanna get on a plane and land on a glacier. <laughs> right? And she said, uh, when we land on the glacier, we can take a picture together and then we'll remember it forever. The answer is yes. We went to Alaska very recently. I'm a green light dad. As long as my kids ask for something that's not going to harm them or dishonor God or hurt someone else, I like to say yes. Some of you are stuck because you're afraid of life in the future. You're waiting for God to tell you and he's not saying anything. Maybe it's because your dad is literally squatted down and he's like, hey kid, just tell me what you want. Because all I wanna do is hang out with my kid and make memories and love them and have fun and enjoy them. See, when the Bible says that we are the children of God, it means that we always need our dad and our dad is always willing to be with us. And sometimes when you're afraid, you're so worried but sometimes there are God-given desires in your heart. That's why it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Some of you, I want you to stop looking at what you're afraid of and being angry that God hasn't spoken to you and go meet with your green light dad and tell him what you want. Now he could say yes, no, or later. That's how every parent can answer every request. But I love this. Let your requests be made known to God. Number five, enjoy God's presence and peace. He talks about God's presence in Philippians 4, 5. 
The Lord is where? He's right here, he's at hand. The number one command in the Bible, it appears about 150 times. You think of the totality of God's word, there are a lot of commands in here. The number one command that's most frequently repeated is, in some form or fashion, fear not. You can hear that one of two ways, my friend, a command. Fear not! That didn't help, amen? Right, right? Like if your kid has a nightmare and it's the middle of the night and you run in, you're like, fear not! And you're like, that did, dad, that did not for sure help. That did not help at all, okay? You can hear that as a command or you can hear that as an invitation, right? We got a little boy, he had a night terror not too long ago. I walked in his room, I rubbed his back, I kissed him. I said, your daddy's right here, fear not. I looked up, cause I'm a nerd, all 150-ish occasions where it says fear not, Nearby, in the same orbit, it always says, in some form or fashion, almost always says, for I am with you. For I am with you. It's not necessarily a command, fear not! It's an invitation. Don't be afraid, dad's here. Dad's here. Dad's here. You're not alone but this is what I'm gonna go through. You're gonna go through it with your dad. Your dad's gonna take care of you. Even if things aren't okay, you'll be okay. Your dad goes with you. We had a season in our life, helicopters overhead, rocks thrown at the kids, pickets, protests, bulletproof vests for me to go to work, kids going through protests to hear their dad preach, total crazy, wheels off. My littlest son, he started having great anxiety. Wouldn't sleep in his bed, was very nervous. When the news chopper flew over the house, he thought it was guys coming to shoot the family. He thought we were under attack from terrorists. He's little, he doesn't understand. My little boy loves playing baseball. He was so gripped with anxiety and fear that he wouldn't go play baseball anymore. He had all-star trouts. He's a good little ball player. My three boys are all good ball players. And I told him, I said, little buddy, you got, you got all-star tryouts. They want you on the team. He's like, I'm not going. I said, why? He said, dad, I'm afraid. He just wanted, he was reclusive. He was just wanting to stay home. He just literally wanted to be as far away from anything that could be dangerous as possible. Some of you are like that. I said, well, little buddy, how about if I go to practice with you? I had to talk to him for a while. I said, you get in the truck, daddy will pray with you. I'll go there with you. He said, yeah, but you can't go on the field with me. I said, yes, I can. I said, if it takes me going out on the field with you, I will go out on the field with you. I'm gonna be the weird dad, okay? You're like, he's big for his age. You're like, yeah. <laughs> I go out on the field with him and I stand. We stand at the chalk line. He won't go any further. I said, little buddy, you gotta go. He said, I need you to go with me, okay. We both cross the chalk line, we go over, he starts warming up. I'm standing next to my little boy while he's warming up for all stars. And after a while, he looks at me, he said, dad, you can go stand over there now. He said, uh, I feel better, but I still need to see you and know that you're close by. So I, I said, I back up, little buddy, is this a good spot? I'm on the other side of the chalk line. He said, that's good, dad. 
You and I are the children of God. We're gonna be scared. But if our dad goes with us, we're gonna be okay. Okay, we're gonna be okay. That's what he means when he says the Lord is at hand. Number two, the peace of God. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. This is not natural, this is supernatural. This is not something that you can get from a therapist or a prescription, though those things can be helpful. This is a gift that God gives that no one else can give. This is something that God understands that no one else understands. This is something that God does that only God can do. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart, that's your emotional life, and your mind, that's your mental life in Christ Jesus. This is the language of a soldier. Now imagine that you have a great enemy that is coming for you, you're very scared of them, you're anxious, and then a soldier stands in front of you on guard. It says, you stay behind me between this enemy and you is me. I will fight them, I will defend and protect you. You need not be stressed or distressed. I am present, I am for you, I am with you, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, and I will protect you. The peace of God is a soldier that is always on duty. His name is the Holy Spirit. Unlike you, he does not get sick. Unlike you, he does not grow weary. Unlike you, he does not need a Sabbath day. The peace of the presence of God in the power of the Holy Spirit is a soldier on guard to protect your emotional life and to protect your mental life if you are in, if you belong to, if you believe in Christ Jesus. And speaking of Christ Jesus, let me close with this. Let me just take an extra few moments and talk to you about Jesus. How many of you have been told that that anxiety, stress is a sin to be repented of. How many of you have been told that? Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not a sin, it's just a struggle. How do we know? Jesus had anxiety. Jesus was stressed. Jesus was worried. Question, you're a well-taught church. Did Jesus ever sin? No. As Jesus was going to the cross to die in your place for your sins as your substitute, did Jesus have any anxiety? For sure. He's in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. What's his sleep look like that night? No sleep. Jesus is anxious, he's somewhat fearful, he's worried. So he's up all night. How many of you have had trouble sleeping? How many of you recently have been up all night? Jesus is God, come to be with us, come to be like us. What does Jesus do? By prayer and supplication, he makes his request known to God. He literally is crying out, Father, please take this cup of suffering from me. That's my will. Made his request known to God. In that moment, it was a red light. No, son, you're, you're going to need to atone for the sin of the world. Jesus then surrenders. Not my will, but 
your will be done. He got there in prayer. Some of you are struggling to walk in God's will and the only way you'll get there is through prayer. That's how Jesus got there. Is Jesus anxious? The Bible says that he is sweating drops of blood. Medical professionals will tell you that this is someone who is experiencing the highest level of anxiety that is possible and the body cannot handle all of the anxiety that they are experiencing. Jesus goes to the cross, he substitutes himself for you and me, and he dies. And he yields himself to the peace of God which surpasses all understanding because he does so in the presence of God. And the Lord Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus dies in the presence of the Father, with the peace of the Father, after meeting with the Father, bringing his anxiety to the Father and letting his will be known to the Father and surrendering to the will of the Father. Three days later, Jesus rises, he ascends into heaven. Let me close with this. Hebrews 4.15 says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us, this God that you speak to, this God that you bring your burdens to, this God that you bring your desires to, this God that you bring your fears to, this God that you bring your future to, this God that you bring your anxieties to, his name is Jesus. And he says, my dear son, my dear daughter, I fully understand where you are. I have been there. I am now on the other side. Why don't you travel with me? I was praying for you on the plane. Um, I believe God told me to tell you something. Some of you are in very difficult circumstances and you have asked God, God, why am I experiencing this? It's because you're now ready to walk through it with the hand of your father. God has not allowed certain things into your life yet because you weren't mature enough. You weren't ready. And now you are. This should encourage you, not discourage you. Number two, God wants you to know there's a difference between hurt and harm. Sometimes God will allow a little bit of hurt to prevent a lot of harm. Just like a surgeon will take a knife and cut you open. And if you don't know that that person is a surgeon, you are terrified. When you realize that they are a master surgeon who is trying to remove cancer from you so that you can live, you thank them for the little bit of hurt that is saving you from a lot of harm. You are ready for what God has set in front of you. He is good, not bad. It will hurt a little bit, but he intends no harm.